A striking film in any case, especially with what is going on in Iran right now. It's well constructed and allows us to see the greater society through this Iranian woman. That's from Tim Cogshell of Film Week of NPR Los Angeles. It's our featured review, Holy Spider. Holy smokes is what the uh, setting should be. It is a fantastic film and a very intense movie. Close is another one of our films this week, Belgian movie, but a childhood friendship in EO, a film about a donkey. That's right, three foreign films this week. Last week I teased four foreign films, but I did not get a screener yet for Trying of Sadness, which I'm trying to get, which does have a name you all know. Woody Harrelson is actually in that film, which won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Still can't get that. Those are our three new movies, though, and our old movie this week is Nine, which was just a film which was absolutely ravaged when it came out, and Chris Cody is somehow watching some of it right now, I believe, or at least got through a little bit of it. You're thinking to yourself, why the hell are you reviewing Nine? Well, next year is the uh, 15th anniversary, and I was actually flipping the channels. I saw it was on, and I go, I can't believe like HBO, when they have their catalog, they think to themselves, well, let's put Nine on. I'm like, who the hell would want to watch Nine? So I, the fact that HBO put it in their catalog right now, I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to have to roast this movie again. And to be clear, it's got a lot of elements you think would be great. Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Fergie Ferg, Rob Marshall, I mean, Cattle Ring director, Chicago, but it's a, it's a flaming you-know-what. Uh, Sophia Loren's in the movie. We'll get into that in a second, though. And our... Um, Wild card this week is the Critics' Choice Awards, which just took place. I watched them on Sunday night. Um, a lot of deserving winners and a few that you go, what is going on there? But a real wild card is the fact that Chris Cody is back from Buffalo. As, as I tease at the end of the show, he flew Frontier, which was awesome, sent a video of himself saying, Skyler Thompson. And I was expecting, like, the whole plane, because I'm with you, like, who else is flying Miami to Buffalo? Like, it's all Dolphins fans. And instead, it looked like a lot of businessmen and people who did not want to be interrupted. You and about three people with a quiet, Skyler Thompson. Like, all right, let, first let me get into my voice. Let me just address the elephant in the room. I can't hang like I used to. Um, I screamed a lot during the game. You know, too many Miller lights were consumed and the voice just can't hang like it, the next two days shot. But um, yes, it was not as sad as that video. There was actually a lot of Dolphin fans, yeah. but that video was just a chef's kiss for sadness. It was hysterical. Like I'm like, I was just impressed that you got the balls to do that. Cause like, there's definitely people who are shushing you, who are giving you yeah. a cut eye. Like, no, dude, I, I'm doing social. I work for the day. It's all for the content. It's all for yeah. content. That's it. I was actually recognized a ton in Buffalo, like nice. way more than I expected. Like, it was dude. The tailgates were fun. I mean, it was Buffalo. Good people too. Nice for the most part. I had a great time, even though the Dolphins lost. They are salt of the earth, and then one of the great. Statistics we can just show how tough Buffalo is. When Clinton was president and we had a big, you know, economic boom, which again I'm not praising Clinton for, I'm just saying it was cyclical and right. he happened to be the president. The three places that did not see any sort of economic upturn. Like a lot of people were making big time money selling houses, blah blah blah. One of the three cities was Buffalo. Yeah. Like they just flatlined. Everybody else is cashing in Buffalo. Again, we're still, uh, yeah. still struggling to make ends meet here, but uh, go Bills, go Sabres. Good people, hard and great wings. Tell oh, me you had some good Buffalo bar. wings. Yeah. I had yeah. three different wings, three different yeah. wing places. Yeah. As soon as you said, I couldn't remember when you said Anchor Bar, I'm like, yep, that's the one. They have yep. some phenomenal wings. Bar Bill but, I went to. It was great. I, th I thought for a second you said the Bordello that I went no, to. No, Bar Bill it was, was the other like famous one that I went to. <laughs> the Bordello. <laughs> Buffalo's got some great bordellos. Really? Okay. Well, Chris barely experienced. Um, how were the seats? Because I saw you shirtless at one point, which is unbelievable. Yeah, that was pregame. Uh, my two buddies wanted to do a shirtless pick. Like I said, all for the content. I'm generally not very secure without my uh, shirt on. Nor am I. But I let, you know, I, I, I had told them to hide me as much as possible. 
And uh, it was good, man. We were row three. I felt like my voice was better at the start of this, and all of a sudden it's uh, gone I, to shit. I, I just said the same thing. I'm like, I feel like you're struggling, so I'm going to just go ahead and yeah, sorry about this. Right there. We'll, 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 listen, less is more with Cody. He is going to be popping in on this podcast, but he'll wait until he's really sorry. has something strong. I don't, I don't <laughs> wear my guy out here with a five-minute monologue, but I'm glad the seats were good. And you're right. Your buddies here with both jacked. Like the comments were great because they go, oh, Cody's with a couple guys who are in really good shape. He's obscured a little bit. Navel not showing. I need fatter go, friends. Cody. I need yeah. fatter friends. <laughs> Which goes back to the, one of the great arguments ever. When I worked um, at ESPN on college football with Joey Galloway and Jesse Palmer, Jesse's as handsome as it gets back on The Bachelor, and Joey oh, still yeah. can run a 4-3-40. Like, he's in unbelievable shape. And so I would say to people, I go, do you think it helps me being next to Galloway, who is cut like a Greek god, and next <laughs> to the incredibly handsome Jesse Palmer, or does it hurt me? Because you go, he's clearly the ugliest and the mm. shortest and whatever. But I asked the makeup artist, he goes, listen, it's back when you were friends. If you went to a bar and you had three really good-looking guys with you, that helps you. Because all the girls are looking at them, but then they also go, well, he's pretty cute, too. Like, he's with them. Yeah. Whereas if you're with two really ugly guys, they go, oh, my God. Like, I guess he's okay. Look, but his friends are horrendous. I'm not like, sure if that's accurate by the makeup artist. <laughs> I think when there's two clearly good-looking people, you're not getting noticed. No one's noticing you. <laughs> and, hey, I've been, I, I, you saw in that picture. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Go ahead. Tweet us. Uh, does it help the better-looking friends or ugly friends yeah, if you're point. trying to pick up? You could tweet me at NSFerg or CinephilePod. Um, the Critics' Choice Awards took place. I, I don't want to do the whole recap of when I went, but if you go back in the archives, legendary stories, me and my friend Max Bredos, we were there, of course, Ben Lyons hooking us up. So I had a plus one, and I took Max with me, and we had an absolute blast. Some of the highlights was him speaking Spanish to Vigo Mortensen, and he knows Vigo's a huge soccer fan. Max absolutely translated for me afterwards. What Vigo was telling him was that points were pointing to his tie, and Max was asking him about his favorite soccer team, and he was saying, that's why I'm wearing this tie. It's the colors of my favorite soccer team, I believe, in Argentina. Um, a very infamous cold shoulder with Charlize Theron. You're going to hear that story. Max knew her growing up and asked Charlize about her mom and this and that. And I'm like, it was so painful being next to him, realizing she just had no interest in talking to him. Jennifer Aniston seemed more interested in Max. As he was yeah. telling the stories, she was giving him a couple of laughs. Deborah Messing was checking him out. Um, I, of course, Barry Jenkins, Florida Zone, was so excited to see me because he's a big sports guy. And we had talked before on Cinephile. Mahershal Ali, of course, my dude, the best. Uh, so it was an epic night. Paul Schrader, but the moment for you, Paul Schrader, I mean, the writer of Taxi Driver, co-writer of Raging Bull, writer, director of First Reformed. I saw him going to the bathroom. I waited outside the bathroom at least 10 minutes, so we can all guess what he was doing. Then I accosted him when he came. I'm like, oh my God, Paul Schrader. Like, as, as if I had just seen him coming, even though I knew he was there. I'm like, oh my God, Paul Schrader. I'm like, and I said, I interviewed you on my podcast in the fall. He's like, oh, on the, on the Amtrak? And I realized... It was a correct answer by him, but like, why would I know he was on an Amtrak? I'm like, I, I don't, you may have been actually on a train. A couple times I heard some background yeah. noise. He's like, yeah, hey, I was going from DC. Okay, well, nice to see you. I'm like, love your work. Can I get a selfie? But the best moment of that night was meeting a guy who came up to me and Max, nobody knew who we were, and he goes, hey, love you guys. You guys are awesome. Adnan, Max, big fans. I'm a huge sports fan. I go, oh, you look a lot like Paul Thomas Anderson, but you're not PT Anderson, are you? He's like, no, no. And I look to his left and I go, oh my God. He's like, yeah, go, is this your wife? He's like, I'm like, Ray Seahorn. Better call Saul. He's like, oh my God, I love your show. I love you. This is amazing. So we do a video. Graham and I become friends. And to this day, Graham and I are friends. And the highlight of this year's Critics' Choice Awards is what won Best Drama Series? Better Call Saul. Boom. What won Best Actor? Bob Odenkirk. And who was sitting right next to the beautiful and talented Ray Seahorn was Graham Larson. So I was texting him, like, bro, I should be watching football right now. But I'm like, I got to see my guy. Best Hollywood couple going. And he was like, dude. And he was, they, they went, you know, when you win, you get excited. They went nuts when Better Call Saul. Like, <laughs> you could just see me and Roy Bellamy somewhere pumping up as well. I'm like, just going berserk for a Critics' Choice Award Best Drama Series. Uh, Graham also texted me. He goes, dude, you, I, I, I can't say anything. Because 
I can't say enough good things about the new show Vince Gilligan is doing with Ray Seahorn. I'm like, that's right, I forgot. Ooh. After Better Call Saul, Vince and Ray are now doing a project together. I'm like, oh my God. I shocking that her else. husband likes the show. It's, you know, What's the, un- say that again? <laughs> I said shocking that her husband likes the show. <laughs> well, I remember one time I said to him, like, I can't believe, like, like, you must be tight with Odenkirk as well. Like, your wife is on set with this guy. And he goes, well, forget about being on set. She was sharing a house with the guy. Like, I, like, I better get along with him pretty well. Like, he's saying, living, living with my wife for, like, six months on set. I'm like, that is, that is always a little bit awkward. Like, how's, how's Bob doing? How's your roommate? <laughs> your co-star right now while I'm sitting here looking after the kids. Anyways, that was the best one of the Critics' Choice Awards. Um, who hosted it? Chelsea Handler hosted it. She was fine. When I hosted, when I was there, it was always Tay Diggs. I thought Tay Diggs had like a lifetime achievement award or lifetime guarantee to always host mm. the Critics' Choice Awards. Chelsea Handler, she was fine. Um, like I said, best drama series and Bob winning was big. I'll go to the big awards though. Now, here's what's interesting with the Critics' Choice Awards. If you're thinking to yourself, like, I've never heard of the Critics' Choice Awards. I don't watch the Critics' Choice Awards. I know the Golden Globes. I know the Emmys. I know the Grammys. I know the Oscars. Here's what is notable with the Critics' Choice Awards the Critics' Choice Awards are generally the most accurate in terms of the Oscar nominations and wins. So here's where you can kind of dig them a little bit. And I'm, of course, I'm a member of them. I voted on these awards, full disclosure. This is where I get all these uh, screeners and such. They'll nominate more. So rather than five nominees for Best Actor at the Oscars, it'll be seven nominees. But the Golden Globes go five for drama, five for comedy. So they nominate 10. But Best Picture, for example, Critics' Choice will do 10, which is what the Oscars now do. But they try to cast a wider net. But Bear in mind, as I say these winners, these are closer in accuracy historically than the Golden Globes. With that being said, Best Picture, these were the nominees. And next week, we are doing the Oscar nominations. Next Tuesday, uh, January 24th, the nominations are going to come out. Me and Chris will have a brand new episode, hot off the presses. Hopefully, Scott Rogowski joining us as well. But this will probably be your Oscar nominees. Avatar, Babylon, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, RRR, which I don't think will make the cut, the South Indian film, although I do think it's got a good chance at foreign film. Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking. Women Talking's lost a little bit of juice. I don't know, because the Producers Guild did not nominate for Best Picture, so I don't know if it gets an Oscar nomination. But the winner, your winner, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, my number four Best Picture of the Year. It's audacious, it's wild, it's ambitious. That's a big win for them. Now, Best Actor, as those who listen to this podcast will recall, I had predicted Austin Butler would win the Golden Globe, but I said Brendan Fraser is the favorite to win the Oscar. Who won Best Actor? Not Austin Butler, but Brendan Fraser. And best speech of the night. I mean, he looked so emotional. I was like, oh my God, like he, he's not going to get through this. Like he, was, he was blubbering from his name, from Brendan Fraser the Wells. Like, and I'm like, dude, he was in George of the Jungle. Like this guy was never expecting this. Like this, this is his moment. This is the thing he has dreamt of. And like whoever, if you had told me 10 years ago, Brendan Fraser is going to win an Oscar one year, I'm like, come on. No. Even going to get nominated. Yeah. To win a Critics' Choice Award, like he's blubbering. I'm like, oh my God. But awesome speech. And the, and the best part of his speech is at the end, after he thanked Darren Aronofsky and he thanked the co stars, he said, you know, for anybody struggling, this movie should be inspiration to you just to get to your feet and walk towards that light. I'm like, yeah. Great speech. Even Henry Winkler stood up and started applauding. I go, I don't think Henry Winkler's watched The Whale. I just think he really liked that speech. So Henry Winkler got up and like, yeah, I'm with you. Let's go, Whale. <laughs> Best Actress, and again, where Adnan was wrong, Tar. I've got to watch it again. I, I, I clearly missed the boat on this because Kate Blanchett wins Best Actress for Tar over, who I would have picked, Michelle Yeoh. Everything, everywhere, all at once, despite the fact I did not like her speech the Golden Globes, which Chris thankfully tweeted out. Viola Davis, The Woman King, Danielle Deadwater, I love for Till. Best Supporting Actor. Again, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have said, I love Brendan Gleeson for this. Banshees of Anna Sharon or Barry Coggan. Now, Runaway Freight Train for the Vietnamese-born actor Ki Hue Quan, who wins for everything, everywhere, all at once. Great speech to the Golden Globes. Great speech to the Critics' Choice Awards. 
I think he's going to give a great speech when he wins an Oscar. And now your favorite for Best Supporting Actress? Again, if you asked a couple months ago, like, mm, Jesse Buckley, Women Talking, Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Great American Actress, 30 Years, this would be a nice Career Achievement Award, Carrie Condon, Banshees of Inna Sharon. No, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. If she wins an Academy Award, and again, she's an incredible actress, going back to what's love got to do with it, that would be the first Academy Award for a Marvel movie in, like, an acting category. Like, they'll win production design, special effects, but to win, an, like, an actor to win yeah. in a Marvel movie? That's pretty big if Angela Bassett wins. So we'll find out when the nominations come out next week. Just the nomination alone. Best Young Actor, Young Actress, Gabrielle LaBelle, The Fablemans. Best Acting Ensemble, Glass Onion. Best Director. Again, I think Spielberg's the favorite. But the winner here, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's a big-time win. So maybe those guys are now the favorites to win the Oscar. Best Original Screenplay. Another surprise. I would have thought for sure. Martin McDonough, Banshees of Miss Sharon. Nope. Daniel Kwan, Daniel Shiner, everything, everywhere, all at once. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's going to get a bunch of Oscar nominations next week. Best Adapted Screenplay, finally, The Canadian. Sarah Polly wins for Women Talking. Best Cinematography, Cody will love this. So will Mike Ryan. So will 99% of this audience. Yes. The winner is Claudio Miranda for Top Gun Maverick wins for Cinematography. And another Top Gun note, and this is very notable, the Directors Guild Award just gave their nominees for the five Best Director nominees. Now, again... If you go by Guild, that's a good precursor to guess the Oscar nominations. So the SAG Awards, which we haven't talked about yet, those nominations came out. I want to do Oscar nominations next week. I'll do SAG Awards maybe the, the week previous because the actual nominations have been released. We haven't discussed them. The awards, I believe, are February 26th. It's on the Sunday. So we will get to that. But the point is, next week we're going to get the Oscar nominations. And when you start to look at how to handicap, the Acting Guild is the biggest part of the Oscars. The Oscars themselves... The Academy, I think, is 9,000 members. It's grown exponentially. It used to be like 5,000. Of the 9,000, the biggest branch is the actors. So when you're trying to guess best picture, you have to think, what's the film that actors are generally going to? Because that is the biggest branch. That can be a precursor. Now, for directors specifically, the winner of the DGA, that's the Directors Guild of America Award, these are just the nominees. Winner's not been announced yet. The winner of this wins the Oscar, I believe, 85 to 90% of the time. With that being said, here are your nominees. Martin McDonough, Banshee's Vinna Sharon, love it. Todd Field, Tar. Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert, everything, everywhere, all at once. Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans. And the one that was widely expected, and I believe it should be, and I was appalled he was not, is Baz Luhrmann for Elvis. But who got the fifth nominee? Joseph Kosinski for Top Gun Mavericks. Wow. So I was like, wow. Like, they nominated that dude for Best Director. So we could see a surprise next week. And for actor... For everyone's favorite and my least favorite, there's a real path to Cruz now getting a nomination because the four actors who are locks right now, Colin Farrell, Banshees of Inner Sharon, Brandon Fraser for Whale, um, Austin Butler for Elvis, Bill Nye for Living. You got one spot now. Now the SAG Awards, who'd they go with? The Sandman. Adam Sandler nominated for Hustle, currently on Netflix, which I've not seen. If he gets an Oscar nomination next week, guess what I'm doing Tuesday night? I gotta watch Hustle on Netflix to support yeah. Adam Sandler. Or it could be Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick. So that's a really interesting race. Adam Sandler, Tom Cruise. One of those two will probably get that fifth nomination for Best Actor. We get back to the rest of this list. Best Production Design, Babylon. So Even the film real fast, real fast. Film. When you Go said ahead. you don't mean Bill Nye, the science guy. No, no, exactly. Okay. His name is spelled N-I-G-H-Y. So you would think it's pronounced Nighy, but I've now watched two of these awards and they keep calling him Nye. And, and to Chris's I point, just did a little not. search just to make sure Bill Nye, yes. the science guy, wasn't nominated. <laughs> Would be amazing if Bill and I made that turn from science to uh, Oscar nominated. That'd be, that'd be wilder than Brendan Fraser doing it. 
Yes, exactly. Bedazzled. Uh, best production design. You would have thought maybe Elvis. How about Avatar? Fableman's? No. Babylon. Babylon made $78 million. Uh, sorry, it cost $78 million. They wish they made that much. I believe it's grossed something like $14 million. Epic flop, but you can't see the production design isn't awesome. Best editing? Here's where I said Top Gun might win. Editing, right? Those action sequences? No. Once again, Paul Rogers, everything, everywhere, all at once. In my review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, my boy Cabby was like, he goes, you kept talking about the production design. I go, I loved it, the costume, exactly. And who's the winner? Ruth E. Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Love the costume design in Black Panther, and that wins at the Critics' do you Choice. Think that, do you think that Babylon would prefer to make $200 million and get shut out of all the awards? Yes, or, 100%. Okay, so you, you think that they care more about the money than the awards? Because it's one of those where you're like, it costs $78 million. So Damien Chazelle is like, all right, I'm an Academy Award-winning director. You gave me a bunch of money. I'm going to prove I can swing for the fences, make this crazy wild, as I've described, Wolf of Wall Street in the 1920s. If that made $50 million and they got a bunch of nominations, they'd go, okay, well, the critics at least liked us. We got some nominations. Fans, I mean, it's a tough sell. It's a three-hour movie. Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. But the fact you're going to make like $15 million, yeah. like massive loss. Even winning production design, like, uh, that's not no. going to cut it. Visual effects, finally Avatar wins something. you, you got to think that's a no-brainer, visual effects. Best comedy, Glass Onion. Disappointing. I thought it should have been Banshees of an Sharon. Animated film, say what's up to Pinocchio. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio has been a winner. That feels like the favorite right now for the Oscar. Foreign language film. And again, we're doing three foreign films this week. The winner is RRR, which I have not seen yet, and I'll tell you why. I've heard the rave since the summer. I sat down with my wife. I watched the first 10 minutes, and it was so over the top. It was like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, this guy is literally fighting, like, 100 different people. And I go, okay, this is a little bit too far-fetched for me. But if it gets dominated next week, along with watching Adam Sandler and Hustle, I'll be watching RRR to see why people are loving this film. It beat Argentina in 1985, which won the Golden Globe. It beat Bardo, which I reviewed last week. It beat Decision to Leave, which I had my number six film of the year. It beat All Quiet on the Western Front, which has an honorable mention. And it also beat a film we're doing this week, which is called Close. Best song? This feels like it's got to be RRR. Not two, not two. Again, knocks out Lady Gaga for Top Gun, beats Rihanna for Black Panther, Lift Me Up. Not two, not two. RRR. And best score? It's all about Tar. Hildur Gudnoditor. She wins. I was hoping Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. TV, I'll fly through. Better Call Saul won. Awesome. Odenkirk won. Love it. Zendaya, best actress in a drama series. Supporting actor, I love Andre Brower. Was hoping for the good fight. No, Giancarlo Esposito. Me and Roy Bellamy loving it. Better Call Saul. And he went nuts. A guy who was not expected to win, but then gave an amazing speech. Like, that's what actors can do. They're like, they go up there, they talk about life and love and affirmation and giving your all potential. I'm like, all right, this guy's just rolling. It was great. Supporting actress, your favorite, Jennifer Coolidge, The White Lotus. Yeah, I'm great. I can't do it that well today. <laughs> we got it. I, I can't look at who she beat, by the way. Julia Garner, Ozark. She wins every time. House of the Dragon. I haven't seen Miley Alcock. Sure, Carol Burnett. I mean, that's Carol. Carol Burnett's gonna win. That's Carol Burnett. And the one, of course, I wanted to win. Ray Seahorn, Better Call Saul, losing to your girl Jennifer Coolidge. Coolidge, excuse me, White Lotus. Yeah. Comedy series, no surprise. Abbott Elementary. People love it. Best actor in a comedy series? I'm like, this is the one. Steve Martin or Bill Hader. Let's go. Nope. My boy Tom Monfaletto pumped Jeremy Allen White, The Bear. Best actress in a comedy series? I'm like, gotta be Kelly Cuoco. Nope. Gene Smart for Hacks. Supporting actor? Again, one of my favorite wins of the night. Henry Winkler for Barry. Great speech. Super funny. Supporting actress? Of course, Abbott Elementary. Cheryl Lee Ralph. Limited series? This was How do you wild. feel about the dropout? I was hoping for Pam and Tommy, because then you could have talked about that, which you have seen. But I have seen Pam and Tommy. Oh, I thought you were getting to the award, that weird one. Yeah, yeah. No, 
Best Movie Made for Television. Here were the nominees, in case you're curious. Fresh, Prey, Ray Donovan the Movie, The Survivor, and Three Months. I don't know what the favorite was, but the winner was the one that we have reviewed here on the podcast, and I spoke to the writer-director. Weird. The Al Yankovic story yes. wins. I'm like, yes. And even better, Best Actor. Now look at these nominees. Ben Foster, The Survivor. Guy lost like 40 pounds. He's already skinny to begin with. Playing uh, a boxer set during the Holocaust. Like, intense film. I haven't seen it. Barry Levinson directed it. Andrew Garfield. Worked with Scorsese, Under the Banner of Heaven. Worked with Marty on Silence, of course. Samuel L. Jackson, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. Sebastian Stan, Pam and Tommy, which you saw. Ben Wishaw, This Is Going to Hurt. Instead, the winner is, yes, Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Weird. The Al Yankovic story. Like, that, like that's got to be big for them. Like, the fact they won Best Actor, Best Movie, go watch it on Roku. Best Actress, she's got those big eyes. Amanda Seyfried, she wins for The Dropout over Julia Roberts, no less. And Lily James, Pam and Tommy. Best Supporting Actor, again, an award I loved, although I think it was the wrong one. I would have liked to have seen Ray Liotta win for Blackbird. Would have loved Matthew Good as the offer, amazing as Robert Evans, the Godfather producer. Instead, it was, hey, guys, I could have won another award here. <laughs> Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. Yeah, I was just at the Golden Globes last week, won another award. <laughs> Keep thinking about them girls. Best Supporting Actress in a limited series movie made for television, uh, Nisi Nash-Betts for Dahmer. Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I said previously in the podcast that there's been some backlash, and someone mentioned that to me at work. They go, yeah, I won't watch it because of that backlash. And I go, listen, my buddy Chris Cody pointed out, there, there's lots of movies involving murders. Yeah, it's like... I, I, I'm curious why Dahmer is the line you're drawing. Like, you're like, I'll watch anything. I'll watch Terminator, Predator, people killing. Uh, Dahmer, no. Okay, well, one best supporting <laughs> actress. Foreign language series, Pachinko, animated series, Harley Quinn. Talk show, tired of this guy. Another John Oliver win. Like, I know he's brilliant, but enough. Give it to somebody else. It could have been the Kelly Clarkson show. Late Night with Seth Meyers I would have taken. Full Frontal, Samantha B. Watch What Happens Live, Andy Cohen. Again, Oliver. He works maybe 30 weeks of the year. Like, he's always on vacation. He has 20 writers. Like, how can you, like, how can you, be? Colbert's on five nights a week. It's a Kimmel's smart show, dude. It's week. really funny. I like it. He's brilliant. He's super funny. He's very smart. Should, I, I know. He's like four You have fatigue. You have enough. John Oliver to fatigue. Is what you have. Yeah, John Oliver fatigue. You're right. You know, like LeBron I mean, could win MVP it. every year, but we're just tired yeah. of him. Correct. Another Mike Trout MVP. And the one that I want to see, which maybe you have seen, but I'm thrilled that he won. Best comedy special. A former guest here on the show. I thought it might be Nikki Glaser. I was hoping for her. Filth, but I the was winner was Norm McDonald. I didn't see this special actually, mm. but I did see Nikki's. I was rooting for her. Okay. And yeah, Nikki we like to. Yeah. I still can't remember. I, the Comedy Central, one of those roasts. I think it was Blake Griffin. He goes, hey, it's great to be on the dais here to have another basketball player. Look, there's Larry Bird. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and the best was she got up, and her bit was how sexy he was. And then he got up like 10 minutes later and just started crushing her. You're right. No, even like that. in the middle, he's like, he's hey, like you're so hot. in the middle, you're he's hot. like, sorry about this. I didn't realize. <laughs> killed her. That is the Critics' Choice Awards. Again, next week, Oscar nominations. Hot off the presses. Me and Chris will give you a new episode next Tuesday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's do some reviews here. Holy Spider. You know, uh, if you know my work, you know how much I love a good Iranian film. You know, a year ago, I gave Oscar Farhadi's film Best Picture. Uh, even though that was incredibly snubbed for Best Foreign Film, which angered me to no end. Uh, I love the films of Abbas Kiristami, uh, Majid Majidi, Mohsen Mahmoubaf. So this is interesting. This is a film unlike I've ever seen before. I know these movies really well, these Iranian films. And that government is so repressive and so controlling, you can't show a lot of stuff you'd see in American movies. You're never going to see nudity. You don't really see any profanity. You don't really see anything that's because they control it. But this is interesting what this filmmaker did. Because I'm like, how the hell? When I saw the, the plot synopsis, I go, this ain't going to fly with that government. Here's the synopsis. A journalist descends into the dark underbelly of the Iranian holy city of Mashhad as she investigates the serial killings of sex workers by the so-called spider killer who believes he is cleansing the streets of sinners. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. how the hell did this get past the censors over there in Iran? But the reason why is it's not actually an Iranian film. Ali Abbasi is the filmmaker. I believe he is Persian-born, but the film is actually being distributed, uh, you know, by whatever countries. I believe it's Belgium. I'll double-check. Belgium is close. I'll find out which one it is. But the point is, the way he was able to do it is, you know, the film is not actually being marketed by them. Denmark. So yeah. the film was selected as the Danish entry for Best International Feature Film at this year's Academy Awards, where it may get nominated. But... It's a film set in Iran. They're speaking Farsi, which is the language spoken in Iran. So for all intents and purposes, it feels like an Iranian film. It'd be like, uh, like an English filmmaker making a movie set in America. Like, I guess it would be an England entry, but of course it's set in America. Right. Anyways, so this is based on a true story. I had no idea. Saeed Hanahi, a serial killer who targeted sex workers, killed 16 women from 2000 to 2001. So I'm like, whoa, serial killer movie from Iran. Not expecting this. You know, you watch these foreign films, and we'll get to them in a second. One of the movies, EO, is about a donkey. I'm not kidding. The other film, Close, is about a couple of 13-year-old kids, like just being good friends. Like this is, that's what you picture perhaps in a foreign film. Maybe you picture Parasite, which is, of course, a great movie. You're not expecting necessarily a serial killer movie. And the first 10 minutes of this film, I'm like, whoo, th this is what we're getting right out of the gate. Um... So the hook, okay, clear here, the prostitutes in Iran, because I'm like, again, I'm like, they will have to wear the headscarf, right? So you, you can't like just walk around wearing, you know, hooker boots, so to speak. So they're covered up, but they wear like heavy makeup, hanging out in the street corner, and they'll kind of like smile at guys, wave at guys, and I guess you just know, okay, these are prostitutes, but they're not dressed as such. Right. You see a guy pick up a girl, she's kind of winking at him, he's like, hey, hop on my scooter, they go back to her place, and then like while he's having sex with her, he's just shouting, he's going to destroy her pussy. And I'm like, oh... <laughs> The next scene, she goes, gets dropped off. She's blowing a guy, 
And eventually he says, no, the cops are coming. He tells her to stop, and then he gives her the money. He's like, this isn't all of you. He goes, no, but I didn't, I didn't finish. I'm like, that's it, get out of the car. The next scene, she goes, gets picked up by a guy again on his scooter, goes back to his place. She goes up, and she kind of has that eerie feeling, just as I did, walking the streets of Miami after Moss. I'm like, no, this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't quite feel right. A little too desolate, a little too deserted. Yeah. She, and she goes, unlike me, who got a call from Chris Cody, was able to take an Uber, this woman doesn't have that choice. She's just like, hey, uh, I'm not feeling it. He's like, what? No, I'm not feeling it. Boom. Chokes her out on the stairs. I'm like, woo. That's the first 10 minutes of Holy Spider. Holy smokes. This is an intense movie. But I got to tell you, it's an excellent film. Uh, with that opening, it then sets the stage, and you get the actress who is investigating all of this, and that's uh, Zar Amir Abrahami. Was not familiar with her work. She plays the character of Rahimi. She won the Best Actress, I believe, at the Cannes Film Festival. Excellent. She shows up. Hey, I'm trying to investigate the serial killer. But again, and sometimes this happens in countries like this. Everyone's corrupt. She goes and tries to get the help of the police chief. Later on, the police chief's hitting on her. And she's like, are you kidding? And he's just like, yeah, come on, let's go for a drink. Are you didn't mean He's like, oh, you know, I heard that you're like a real horrible. I'm like, oh, my God, like this, every dude is horrible. Of course, there's like the one guy she can trust, fellow journalist, and they start to investigate a little bit. Then you start to see the serial killer stuff. And again, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing a lot of foreign films centered around serial killers. We've, we've discussed Sansa Lambs here on the podcast. Imagine an Iranian Sansa Lambs. What's the killer look like? So he shows up, and I don't know that he's the guy at first, big white beard. He's playing with his daughter. Daughter's like, oh, come on, let's play. He's like, oh, I'm kind of tired. He tells his wife, okay, I'm gonna, I got to go do some work. Hops on the scooter. I'm like, that's the dude? Like a minute ago, he's playing with his daughter. Now he's going to go kill hookers? I'm like, oh, that's a turn. And you see him like praying at one point. And he's like, no, I, I have to cleanse this city of all these women. Like they're just, they're just whores. Like, we can't have these whores here. And I was like, it would have been a twist if like he slept with them and then did it. But it's like, no, no. He's like, no, no, I can't do that. He pretends he's interested. Boom, chokes him out. That's his MO. So it, it is a dark, intense film. But I thought it was excellent. And without giving anything away, because it is based on a true story, eventually once he's caught, you know, like so many serial killers, he's proud of it, right? He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to jail. Like, I was sent, I know, sent by God, or this is my divine worship to eliminate the filth of this world in this holy city. And you get, like, you know, these sickos who are defending him, like, yeah, no, he's right. Like, let's get rid of these whores. And then everybody else who has a brain and a conscience, like, no, obviously he has to go to prison. Like, what are we going to do here? And at one point, again, the corruption gets kind of deep, and one guy's trying to kind of side deal. But without giving away the actual ending, the last scene is his kid and another kid, like, reenacting what the father used to do. He's like, oh, here's how he would choke them. He told me. He would get the script and do this. And I'm like, that is one of the most disturbing endings I've seen in a long time. Like, a child reenacting his father's murders. He's like, oh, he would tell me. He would do this. Then he would choke them, then punch them. I'm like, oh, my God. Disturbing film, but a very good film. It's called Holy Spider. I'll give it three and a half Maple Leafs. Um, I don't know whether you can watch it. Probably streaming somewhere. Uh, I hope it gets nominated next week for Best International Feature Film. I hope this does not get Oscar nominated. It's gotten rave reviews, and I said, i got to watch it. It's probably going to get nominated. Pass. Here's the story. The intense friendship between two 13-year-old boys, Leo and Remy, suddenly gets disrupted. Struggling to understand what has happened, Leo approaches Sophie, Remy's mother. Close is a film about friendship and responsibility. It's directed by Lucas Daunt, who co-wrote the script, and it's the uh, nominee from Belgium. I don't know about you, Cody. I'm sure, you, again, Florida guy your whole life. You've had friends you've known forever. These two guys are like those friends you have when you're 13. You're always hanging out together, doing everything together. And then it gets a little bit awkward. There's a scene of them kind of like hanging out. They have a sleepover, which I don't think is awkward. But then they're like kind of cuddling together. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what the movie's trying to say. Are they just like super close? Or what exactly is the intimation? Later on, they're at school. 
And one of the girls, and again, this is 13, eighth grade, is like, are you guys like together kind of thing? They're like, what? Like, you guys are always together. Like, you, they're just super close friends. But eventually, I think the one friend kind of feels odd about the relationship. That's the guy, Leo, played by Eden Dambreen. And so he kind of creates a little bit of distance. Maybe because those friends said, like, what's going on? He's like, okay, I'll have a little bit of distance. So he's a little bit aloof towards him a little bit. Ride the bikes together, he'll go super past him, right? He starts playing with some other friends more than the other kid. And then a tragedy happens. And you're like, oh my God, how responsible is this guy? Do you want me to give a spoiler alert and tell you what actually happened? No, go ahead. Okay, spoiler alert in five, four, three, two. I can't imagine a ton of people are fired up to watch Close, so I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Kid dies. So now the rest of the film, it's like... The kid that was sad that his friend was playing with other kids dies? Right. Okay. And you don't know exactly who he died. The kid who seems the more popular one is on a bus, and then they're all told to get off the bus, and the kid's mom who died... No, sorry. The, the mom, his own mother, sees him and says, like, oh, let's go, let's go. Like, well, what happened? And she's like, there's been an accident. So we don't know how the kid died. I don't know if he killed himself. I don't, know if he, whatever, threw him, I don't know exactly what happened, but he's dead. You can assume he committed suicide. So now this kid is like terrible guilt, right? That's survivor's guilt. And on the surface, that sounds interesting. But this is like an hour, 50-minute movie. There's really nowhere the direction's going, except I, I'm not exaggerating when I say he's like standing in the lawn kicking rocks wondering what happened. I'm like, so what actually happened? So you, but I'm like, if they give me a big climax, this is worth the effort. Eventually, he goes to visit his friend's mom. And he goes to her house and he's like, I just want to see his old room. She's like, yep, she's old room. And then he's kind of, starts to get emotional. She's like, well, like, what happened between you two? Like, you guys are super close and something happened. I'm like, okay, now we're going to get the big reveal. No, and he just starts to get a little emotional. He's like, can you drop me off? She's like, yep, she drops me off. <laughs> Later on, the big ending of the movie... They're out together because he's kind of spending time with the mom, surrogate son. Okay, I get that. He says, it's my fault that he died. And the mom says, what do you mean? He goes, I, I pushed him away. Like, it's my fault that he died. And the mom says, Ooh. get out of the car. And in my head, I'm like, well, I, I still don't understand how, again, if you turned your back on a friend, all of a sudden that means he's going to kill himself. But she says, get out of the car. He's like, okay. He starts going in the forest. She chases him down. I'm thinking there's going to be like a big moment where she's either like, yeah, you did kill my son. Like, you're a horrible person or something. Like, to that dramatic effect. Or no, the opposite. Make, yeah, like, make like him feel okay, better about it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not his fault. It's my fault. I'm his mother. Like, I, yeah. I let it get away from me. But instead, none of that happens. He kind of holds a stick. Let's see, he might hit her for a second. She hugs him. That's the movie. I'm like, okay, that, like, this is a this is Really? Mm. Yeah. This is the movie Close. It's about two guys who are super close. One kid dies, and then the kid feels guilty about it. I'm like, that's going to get nominated for Best International Feature Film? No. One and a half Maple Leafs. Real disappointment. Wow. Yeah. Maybe there's something else going on in this movie that I didn't realize, but that's how I see it. A couple of reviews for you. Alyssa Wilkinson of Vox. It's an elegant, beautiful, moving film. I'll give you beautiful. I mean, I guess it's well shot, but I'm not giving you elegant. No way. <laughs> moving? I'm like, what happened? What, what, what? I don't understand. What happened? Namrata Joshi. Close is artistically ambitious, like a cinematic symphony. Not a note at a place. That's weak. And Nicholas Barber also liked it, too. I mean, I, I don't know. Again, this may be one of those where Adnan was wrong. Close. Go check it out. Maybe I'm wrong. One more for you, and then we're going to get to nine. EO. Ready for this? Follows a donkey who encounters on his journeys good and bad people, experiences joy and pain, exploring a vision of modern Europe through his eyes. It's directed by Jerzy Skolomowski, and it's co-written by him as well. This one I had approached with great trepidation. It's not an animated film. No, thank okay. you. That's a really good point by you. You're thinking, like, Eddie Murphy, donkey? No, no, this is a donkey. I'm like, Whew. First thing I check, runtime. I'm like, I I'm going to have to watch a movie about a donkey. Good news is, 83 minutes. I go, all right. That's good news. <laughs> Hour 23 of a donkey. It's, it's going to just follow a donkey around. This is a documentary about a donkey. I'm like, okay. The other big time sell, the New York Times, Manola Dargis, previous guest here in Cinephile, 
awesome film critic. We don't use her blurbs enough. She's great. She called EO the best picture of the year. So I'm like, wow. And that's on all the posters. New York Times calls it best picture of the year. I'm like, okay, well, Manola Darkus said it. I'm going to have to watch EO. Now, I understand it's a loose adaptation of a film that came out years ago by Robert Bresson. So I understand for a film critic, you're like, oh, I love what it's doing because it's an homage to something else. And, you know, I, I, I get where that's the appeal of it. And I'll be honest, it ended up being better than I thought. Oh, Hazard Balthazar. That's the classic 1966 film by revered French director Robert Bresson. Polish legend, Jerzy Skolominski. But when I say it's following a donkey around... It's following donkey around. Now, the good news is this. There is also some dialogue. The first 10 minutes, wordless. I go, this is going to be a silent film of a camera person, a donkey's ear, as he walks around the meadows, chews some grass, close-up of his eye. He's looking at somebody. There's no narration. There's no, like, voice of the donkey. It's, like, really good music, like classical music. But it's just a donkey walking around. But then you start to see what happens with the donkey. And thank God there is some talking. You get to see the donkey picked up. He goes in a circus. He's transported. Gets beaten in like a, just a disturbing scene. They beat up a donkey. Thank God, by the way, the first thing that came up the end credits, there was no donkeys harmed in the beginning of this film. Animal cruelty is a horrible thing because this scene where they beat up the donkey is, and I'm not an animal lover per se. I don't have any dogs and any cats, but I'm like, obviously, I have a heart. Like this is right. horrible. These people do this donkey. It's disgusting. But thankfully, no donkey was actually hurt. But this is one of those films. Either you go with it and you say, all right, I'm one with nature. Sorry about a donkey. His life, his journeys, how would you see life through a donkey? Or you're going to go, this sounds like the worst movie ever made. And <laughs> I kind of felt like it was both. I'm giving it two and a half Maple Leafs. At times, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a sweet film. At times, I thought to myself, I can't believe I'm watching a movie about a donkey. I'm yeah. watching a donkey. I feel like a horse's ass. The no pets in the, in the Verk household, huh? No. Four kids, that's enough. And I've had people say to me, why don't you get a dog? I go, are you not? That'd be like having a fifth kid. Like, how much work is that? I got another, like, like, if I had two kids and a dog, I'm like, okay. But like four kids plus an animal. You guys have pets, right? Uh, my parents do. I actually don't have a dog yet, but we want to get one, though. You want to get one. I definitely yeah. can see you as a dog lover. Most people are. Levitard has a dog. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah He's the guy that brings his dog to Publix. <laughs> I love how there's like different, very, you're right. There's different varieties of the dog owner. Like yeah. everyone is proud of their dog, but they're the guy who brings the dog everywhere, shows yeah. pictures of the dog. Like, nah, I got they'll bring him everywhere. Leave him at home. Reviews of EO. Michael Phillips, Chicago Tribune. Clear-eyed and full of subtle feeling and empathy without solemnity. This is co-writer and director Jersey Skolomowski's first feature in seven years. It's also very good. Alejandro Martinez of Austin Chronicle. Pure, tender cinema is rare nowadays, but EO delivers. And Adam Naiman of The Ringer. You'll also think deeply about matters of sentience and sentimentality. And if you're anything like me, thank Skolomowski for knowing exactly how and when to end his movie. If not for EO's sake, then for ours. That is EO. And last but not least, I want to do a little bit on Nine. As I mentioned, I saw it on HBO, and I, and I thought of this famous line. I don't know who said it. I'm sure other people have said it. You learn a lot more from failure than you learn from success. <laughs> and that is true of all things in life, right? If you look at the great days in your life, accomplishments made, you go, I mean, I think I worked hard, but I, was, I got lucky. I was around good people, and, yeah. and things happened to work out, and it was awesome. It was, it was a good show. That's how it happens. But if it's bad, you look at it and go, okay, I wasn't prepared enough. I let things get away from me. I had an argument with my wife the night before. Things were, my, my kid was sick. Like I wasn't focused enough. It was my fault. I wasn't detailed. And that's why I learned from these things. That's why it was bad. And that's what I think when I watched the movie Nine. Because I say, with that kind of talent, that feels like a no-brainer. How the hell did this movie get away from that? You've got Daniel Day-Lewis, who is arguably the greatest actor of his generation. You've got a slew of actresses, very talented. Penelope Cruz, Academy Award winner. Nicole Kidman, Academy Award winner. Sevilla Loren, Fergie. 
Marion Cotier, Academy Award winner. Judy Dench, Academy Award winner. Kate Hudson, I believe, is an Academy Award winner, almost famous. At least an Academy Award nominated, for sure. That's nuts. And you got Rob Marshall, who directed Chicago, which won Best Picture over Gangs in New York. That feels like can't miss, no problem at all, Broadway musical, nine. And it's based on one of my favorite movies ever, Eight and a Half, the great Fellini film. So you got Daniel Day-Lewis playing the Italian director who is trying to make this film. And he's playing Guido Contini. First off, again, and I love DDL. Great hair in the movie. Love the sunglasses, the white shirt, skinny black tie, black tie. Like, like handsome dude. He's sexy. Like, good looking He's guy. sexy he in this fits film. the bill. Yeah. You'd agree he's with sexy. that, right? Like, he's, yeah, he's a striking man. He's sexy in this film. I never thought of him as like a sexy leading man, but he is in this film. That's where I was going with. Because if you think of Daniel Lewis, you're like, method actor, weird. Yeah. Obsessive. Like, those are the Link, words you Lincoln. Right? Yeah, Lincoln. Exactly, exactly. Walking around as Lincoln. Like, yeah. Big beard. Ignoring everybody on set, just I gotta go read and practice my Kentucky accent. Like, okay, that, that, that's you. Gangs in New York, crazy gangster, um, my left foot, you know, intense. But we're like, no, handsome. Like, you watch me, like, dude, he's like, daily loose. Like, wow, I can see him with Penelope Cruz, Nicole, all these women. But here's what it gets down to, and you just nailed it as you're watching it it's the singing. If it it's, was just a movie, I think it'd be okay. It, it would be so much better if it wasn't a musical. <laughs> it's. It was ridiculous. Like, it was just all over the place. It wanted to be an all-time great movie. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It has high ambitions with that cast. And, again, they're putting their money towards the production design, the lighting, the costumes. Like, you know. It's like as soon as I feel like, all right, now I'm following it, they just start singing again. And I'm like, now I'm annoyed again. Like, yeah. just, <laughs> like it's wild. <laughs> I love this take on Nine. If you cut out the singing scenes, it's a much better movie. Epic flop. You can go look up the numbers. Costs a ton of money. <laughs> Was hoping to get a bunch of Oscar nominations. No shot. And critics just annihilated this movie. I remember the time being like, wow. This is like almost like, kind of like what you were mentioning about me with John Oliver fatigue. Like, they're kind of waiting for the flop. Okay, we've been praising these guys for a while. Now we're going to get them. 39% yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, take this, DDL. Oh, you think you're Lawrence Olivier? Well, we're going we're gonna to annihilate you on this one. Audience score, 37%. Like, everybody hated this movie. And, and I just refuse to believe, no, no matter how successful of a director you are, that yeah. all of this would be greenlit with no script. Like, he's literally, like, shooting a scene of a movie where he doesn't have a script yet. I get it that these directors probably have carte blanche, but mm -hmm. it's just a little unrealistic that the whole movie, he doesn't have a script, and yet they're, like, halfway through shooting the movie. <laughs> exactly. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll just build the sets first, and then we'll get the story. What? Like, we'll figure out the plot afterwards. I love this from Dennis Schwartz. Feels as if this filmmaker doesn't know a Fellini from a Linguini. <laughs> And David Harris, nine cannot help but be a limp facsimile of a film that is supposed to be full of life. And That's breathing. what I said. It's like it wanted to be something. Right. Here's where, and again, I love DDL. The guy's a genius. Once he started singing, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This, yeah. this, this has gone awry. Like somebody should have told him, like, bro, you can do Lincoln. You can do My Left Foot. You can do Gangs of New York. You can, there will be blood singing. Not your thing. Hugh Jackman. That's a song and dance, man. Yeah. Like Robert De Niro's not doing musicals. Like right. Bob knows, like, I'm, not, I'm not a singer. Like you just got to know where, where your lane is. The guy who told him, oh, you should do this. You should do some singing. Singing and dance is kind of your thing. Like, mm. The one song that was great, as you said, if you cut out all the singing, it'd be better. The one song that was great, Be Italian. Free. Yeah. Great yeah. song. Yeah. Be Italian. Yeah. And they feature that unsurprisingly on the trailer and all the rest of it. You know, the, I remember the poster, This Winter, Be Italian. I'm like, oh, kind of catchy. Yeah. But big audience. Italian-American audience will go see this. I'm like, no, nobody saw it. It was an awful movie. Nine. Here's a couple of reviews for you. 
Alyssa Wilkinson of Paste Magazine a painfully formulaic message, trite dialogue, and a strangely episodic narrative structure that renders the whole thing exhausting. Yep. Dave Keir of Film Comment Magazine. Largely, the numbers just sit on top of the dramatic action, adding little to our understanding of the characters and seldom contributing to the advancement of the story. And Ed Koch of The Atlantic, well, the film is uneven, it is worth seeing for the good parts. Daniel Day-Lewis does a credible job. Credible. Yeah, credible is not what we're looking for. When you're, when you're like one of the best, we're looking for credible. That will conclude this episode here of Cinephile. Thanks so much for listening. Three foreign films and an old movie. Next week, we're doing Oscar nominations. The nominations will come out Tuesday. Chris and I will bang out an episode at noon, whatever. Maybe get it out Tuesday night. Hot off the presses. Rogowski at some point wants to come on. I do want to mention on behalf of the Dan Lebertard Show, a couple of great episodes you should all listen to. I listened to the business episode where Dan interviewed John Skipper and David Sampson. Which was amazing because Samson just kept attacking Skipper. He was he was questioning the fact whether or not he ever buried a story to ESPN. What kind of a journalist he was? How involved? In it. One thing about Samson is he'll go at you. Like, yeah. He doesn't care that it's John Skipper, the former president of ESPN, the CEO of Metalark. Are you trying to tell me that John with a straight face? I'm like, wow, like he's he's going at him. He's like, uh, I can tell you, Dave, that that was not my mo. And, and you <laughs> can call uh, Gene Wojciechowski or anyone you like. They, they will corroborate that. Was I involved? Yes, but I never killed the story. I was in, I was talking to the dialogue. And David Samson, Samson goes, but we never talked baseball. He's like, I would watch the show. You guys never talked baseball. We would get, well, I will tell you, Bud Selig would call me. I, I, I watched Mike and Mike. There's not enough baseball talk. I said, Bud, I'll do what I can, but I can't get involved with the content. And Samson yeah. says, no, no, we would count. There wasn't near, zero baseball. Sports Center, Marlins are not going to get any love. No highlights, hockey highlights. Excellent listen. You got to listen to it. It's very, very good. Both those guys going out together. And Dan, of course, one of the best moments probably was this. I discussed the whole NFL situation, <laughs> and Dan says they're just sending Troy Vincent out there to lie on behalf of the NFL because of how bad it looks to be cold. And Samson's line was, I'm almost positive that's exactly what his job description is. Dan, without missing a beat, says, that is cynical, but I'm not sure you're entirely wrong on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great listen. And good job by Witty. I know Witty listens to Cinephile. Witty does a really good job producing. He actually hosted a couple weeks ago because yeah. Dan was off. So that's a really, really good podcast I've enjoyed listening to. Um, that's it. Thanks for supporting Cinephile. Uh, once again, Oscar nominations next week. More new movies as they come. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. Let's hope my boy Chris gets his voice back. Should I try to sing before we get out of here? Maybe yeah, he hit a high note. Just be Italian. Be Italian. Be Italian. <laughs> we'll see you at the movies. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.